Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. So some of you may be aware uh, there is a new Spider-Man film. Is there? Uh, yes. Uh, Spider-Man is hitting his second trilogy in under 20 years, which is <laughs> kind of insane. It is the, going to be the eighth film overall on top of several animated series, a famously terrible musical, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, another musical that I hear was more successful so there's a lot of there's there's a tad bit of spider mania going around you have spider fever Melvin I kind of like didn't know that I like spider-man so much until watching that what if episode with the zombies and he shows up and like just how happy I was to see (laughs) spider-man and I was like oh yeah that's right I do like (laughs) spider-man because I didn't like when I saw far from home it didn't like it was okay but like i think i think what happens is like uh what is it distance makes the heart grow fonder <laughs> yeah just how can i miss you away. if you don't go away right right and um so then just having spider-man show up was like oh yeah that's right i do like spider-man a lot and then of course watching spider-man one through three sam raimi's spider-man i was like oh yeah I do like Spider-Man a lot, and so yes. I'm pretty pretty hype. Uh, but I'm also like not at the same time because both Homecoming and No Way Home, I'm sorry, Homecoming and Far From Home were just okay for me. Of course, I could probably mm. rewatch Homecoming and maybe enjoy it more. But uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, and so I'm excited nonetheless. And also, just the the prospect of what we might be getting with No Way Home is what has me the most excited even though i know it probably will not meet expectations so and by that i mean the hype it will not exceed hype nothing ever really does so, right. so that's that's it that's what i'm feeling <laughs> so as melvin immediately let out of the bag uh in anticipation for a potential multiversal uh what's what i'm looking for multiversal crossover crossover event. rumble events uh, as perhaps is the worst kept secret in all of Hollywood. And there's a chance 
that by the time this episode releases, it has actually been officially confirmed because we're recording this on Monday, November 15th. And tomorrow at a special event, further proving that Disney and Marvel are geniuses at purely marketing, uh, there is a special screening just for the second Spider-Man No Way Home trailer where people are actually getting tickets just to see the second trailer. And wasn't there like a, a leaked article or there's there was a, div- oh well, gosh. there's been plenty of leaks. Uh, let me, uh, do, you, do you want me to talk about the, the, the leak situation? Cause it, it is kind of funny. I just know that there was one that was basically Marvel and Disney Marvel and Sony are debating on whether or not to show Tobey Maguire and that Andrew is Garfield in the also new trailer. Been rumored. Yes. So, which I would, I think don't do that. Just let, let the movie do what it does. Do not like, (laughs) this is, this is the youth group equivalent of don't have sex till you're married because then it makes it so much better. Uh, this is like, which is just (laughs) the wildest comparison I've ever heard in my life between two. Well, it's like, uh, It's like a scene in Arrested Development when when Egg is like talking to George Michael and is like, oh, we're waiting to have sex. And then when we finally have sex because we're married, it'll be great because God will be with us. It'll be amazing. And then it like shows George Michael and he looks like he's panicking. And then it shows Michael Bluth that he's just grossed out. (laughs) It's just like, but maybe Sony could take some cues here and let us just blue ball for a couple more months and just see the movie as so come on don't is this, do is this the this. worst 30 seconds you've ever recorded melvin <laughs> this is this this is a christian movie podcast i just are you kidding me <laughs> <laughs> all the people who are like i don't like to say naughty words and they're saying that in public and then they go home and they say terrible things and it's okay because you're allowed to ventilate. I think you're projecting. <laughs> you're all diseased <laughs> like I am. <laughs> I'm not projecting I'm at all. I'm trying to talk about Spider-Man. <laughs> I'm trying to talk about how come on, let's just let us wait till the movie comes out. It's we already know like let fan theories run wild, but come on. I mean, we've been messaging you've been saying this to me already, but you're like, come on. If, if Sony wasn't involved, none of these spoilers would be getting out. So none of these spoilers would be getting out. We could just anticipate and we could just wait. I mean, the trailer leaked through a phone video recording of a laptop screening of the trailer. Like (laughs) how many degrees finished special effects? Yeah. How many degrees of wrong is this? So there, there is actually kind of a reason. Part of it is that, and this is from this is what I this is a commented on by somebody who allegedly you know works in the film industry, but Marvel Studios is a much more contained studio where it is the way described as Marvel Studios is more or less almost just one floor and one building in terms of like obviously they got to shoot and stuff like that. But Sony is a massive company with like he's like there's there's Sony by comparison is lots and lots of just buildings and offices and and that sort of thing and so it's just there's just more people to keep track of in terms of just like keep the information just much easier to get out versus marvel studios would this is their kind of their bread and butter but i think at a genius level they've turned inform basic information about their own movies into its own cottage industry where people are 
just like clamoring just to know what's happening in their movies. That's the, that's a G they don't have to spend money on marketing. Everyone's talking about their movies without having to spend a dime. It's kind of genius in that way. But because of that, there's this whole secondary industry of people who are literally trying, trying to like espionage their way into knowing what's going on in this new Spider-Man film. So they could sell pictures and print articles and, and those sorts of things. Everybody just turned into J. Jonah Jameson. Yes. <laughs> Every single person. Antacid and tons yes, and all. as is prophesied. Uh, yes. Do you, do you want to hear the story of how these massive Spider-Man leaks happened? Sure. I can listen to those. Sure. Well, I won't say what they are. I won't say what they are. I'll just... Yeah. We have so, no spoilers, actually, but like the process of them leaking is probably entertaining. I, I've seen them. So for the, for the record, I someone spoiled the first third of the movie for me without my without my consent and so because of that i've unlike most of their films where i don't know anything about them i've become semi-fascinated finding out more things about spider-man partially because it's so incredibly secretive and also because the movie's been delayed which just opens the door more and more for information to leak so there's a man from canada named john campia and he (laughs) what a way to start (laughs) he so he likes to get traction online he likes to get subscribers and viewers it's that's not that's not slamming him that's just how this works and so he's kind of gained some twitter notoriety for posting photoshops so he posted a pretty bad photoshop once of the toby mcguire andrew garfield and tom holland in a scene together with charlie cox like in the background and it got like it went viral for a little bit and so because of this, people just email him pictures all the time and he got emailed some pictures and he posted them online and he put his own watermark on them and he posted with the caption. These look pretty good. These seem fake or real to you guys. And <laughs> immediately they started going around everywhere. And then suddenly he deleted the pictures without any notice. Everyone's like, what happened? Cause at first everyone's like, these can't be real. These look really good though. These might be real. And he deletes them. So everyone's like, Oh my gosh, they definitely are real. And so then he starts posting these tweets, like backtracking going, Oh, I thought they were fake guys. I'm sorry. I still think they're fake. If you're asking me and like, Oh, you know, and like all this stuff. And it's pretty clear that he obviously saw them and was like, Oh man, I think these are real and posted them to get clout Oof. online. Yeah. Yeah. And then he <laughs> apparently, People from Sony started contacting him and first first they told him to delete the pictures and then they were like, who's your source? Who emailed these pictures to you? And he's just like, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> like it's So like this idiot could, like ruined his potential. Like he's going to lose his like press credentials and the ability to see things early access now because he for zero reason posted massive spoilers for this movie online just to get Twitter followers. And he put his own watermark on them. Like the world's worst <laughs> burglar. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, I didn't know. You know, and for the record, you can look them up online. They are massive spoilers. And they are exactly the things that you want to know about the movie. And according to other insiders and stuff, it's part of a set of photos that have been sort of floating around for a little bit that a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, those are 100% real. Uh, we know this is a thing. And so now... John Campia is not going to go to any early screenings for Marvel or Sony movies for the for the foreseeable future unless he really makes up. And so that's the world we live in. Now. I've been a Marvel fan for five years. Cue <laughs> <laughs> to cut it. to Star Wars rant. <laughs> yeah. Hey there, it's your friendly neighborhood call to action. Just checking in on you. Hope you're doing all right. 
I'm just stopping by to say, you know, if you enjoy the show, you can always subscribe and write a review for Cinematic Doctrine. There's iTunes, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen. You can give us a shout out with a thumbs up, five stars, gripping positivity. Or if you hate the show, you can say that too. Wait, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S., and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted, I thought this was like a hobby thing. You it's want me to... expand Cinematic Doctrine. You know right, this already. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, <laughs> I forgot. I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can gain access to early uncut episodes of the podcast. Oh, and did I mention, you get to tell us what to do. That's right, each month you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Anyways, I gotta run, so I'll see you guys later. But like, because of, so yeah, it's the worst kept secret in in the entire world is that it is 99.9% confirmed. It has been officially confirmed, but the rumor is that this upcoming Spider-Man film, not only will it feature a collection of villains from previous films, but it will in fact see Tom Holland Spider-Man joining forces with Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. And there's a possibility that once this episode releases, that will become official and will make our little mini series here make more sense. So we decided it'd be fun to go back and watch the previous big blockbuster Spider-Man films aka the the sam raimi trilogy and the mark webb duology duology we did not watch the tv show from the 70s or japanese spider-man or spider-man the animated series or anything we decided to keep this relatively brief but uh for context i have a deep deep love and appreciation for the sam raimi spider-man films uh, more so than almost anything we'll ever talk about the show this was the thing i grew up with i remember seeing the first trailer for spider-man in theaters with the one with the twin towers that they later took down because of 9-11 i was excited in the theater i remember being amazed and other kids cheering in the theater at a trailer and also being wondering why his suit looked so shiny because i wasn't used to it being so shiny and i saw each film the date the day it came out in theaters spider-man was my hero as a kid i was super into these and so when we floated around the idea of talking about them i was super pumped to do so and i was also pumped to just sort of revisit the films as an adult because the most recent one i've seen i watched spider-man 3 like a year ago as like a joke and i realized this isn't as bad as everyone seems to remember yeah, it being totally and then i i have an old dvd copy spider-man 2 that i'd watch once a day uh, every summer <laughs> so i really love that movie and it was a delight to go back and watch them again and I took a, I came away with a few feelings in terms of why I think they hold up so well and why I think they still are sort of the standard bearer, not just for Spider-Man films, but superhero films, yeah. where they really highlight the aspects of the genre as a whole and what really works and what makes superheroes in general so wonderful. And I know you've seen them before, uh, but you hadn't seen them in a little 
bit. So what was your experience like going back and revisiting them? Yeah, to give context, I had watched Spider-Man 1 maybe like five, six years ago and was sort of like not as impressed with it as like I was expecting to be. Of course, I saw Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3, you know, years ago when they were coming out. And I'd seen one a lot. I owned it. And then two, I had... Uh, man, two, I had not seen as much, but I had seen a lot as well. And then three, I only saw once in theaters. I was too young to really have opinions about them. And even this rewatch recently, where I liked them way more, uh, including one, I was thinking to myself how it's such a bummer to like, well, it's like kind of the thing we all have about Star Wars, where it's like, man, I wish I could have watched those as an adult. Like, I wish I could have experienced these with like the adult capacity to understand <laughs> like for the first time what's taking place and why it's a big deal. Cause now I get to do that, but it's not with the same surprise uh, that you can get with like not knowing what the end of episode five is. And uh, so when I was rewatching too, I said to Catherine, how like, man, if I saw this in theaters for the first time, like now this would be just an insane experience. So yeah, I, I had a really, really, really fun time rewatching all three. They're really, really good. Um, they're really well made. They're creative. They're fun. They do things that you. We, I was thinking how like all three have aspects of what we basically want with Marvel movies now or superhero movies now, um, such as creativity, risk, relatability, strong characters. Where basically I kind of like took very, 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 very quick and brief notes, and it was basically that I felt like Spider-Man 1, you can see the template being made in Spider-Man 1 for an effective blockbuster popcorn, but something deeper underneath kind of movie where there's a lot like, like you could take your kids to go see Spider-Man 1 and they would enjoy it, of which I did as a kid. But then as an adult, you'll still find it really effective and moving. And then Spider-Man 2 comes out and says, Hey, I made the template. I'm Sam Raimi, but let me just make a movie that I want to make. <laughs> and it, and it's really, really, really good. Spider-Man two kind of like just blew me away because this is something that this is a movie that as I became an online movie kind of person started my letterbox to count like 2015 or 16 and like always seeing like everyone loves Spider-Man two, everyone loves Spider-Man two, everybody calls it a masterpiece, isn't that? And like, I hadn't watched it in like over a decade. So I'm like, it became one of those movies that was just like, man, this must be really good. I really have to rewatch it. And then as I'm rewatching it, I'm just nodding my head. Like, yes, it is as good as everyone's talking about. It's as strong as everyone's talking about. It's as effective. It's as scary as everyone's talking about, which we'll definitely get into with Raby's trilogy. But like, it's just so perfectly made that like, I finally understood when going into Spider-Man 3, why, why it's not as good. And then as I'm watching Spider-Man 3, I'm thinking to myself, oh, okay, so Raimi makes the template in one, but Spider-Man 3 seems to be the movie that everyone recreates, but in, in <laughs> by accident, where like I sort of felt like a lot of the Marvel movies out of the 27, which not all of them can be winners, of course, but it, I was starting to think how like Spider-Man 3 is pretty bloated, and a lot of superhero movies can feel bloated. Spider-Man 3 has like, because of how bloated it is, it turns things that are interesting into dead space, and how... A lot of Marvel movies often feel like they have dead space. And then also, of course, Spider-Man 3 is sort of this 
letdown of unfulfilled expectations from the previous movies. And then the Marvel movies often are one-offs in a universe, but they're still sometimes disappointing and often not as interesting as I want them to be, which I really hope (laughs) No Way Home doesn't turn into that, but it's possible it could. And I just sort of, yeah, it just seemed like Spider-Man 3 became what people don't want to be, but ultimately become with their what they make, uh, which we can, of course, talk. Well, you know, I'll just do it right now. I mean, because Spider-Man 3 is like the whole trilogy. We're waiting for this rivalry to finally come together between Peter Parker and uh, Harry Osborn. And then like the opening sequence of Spider-Man 3 is Sam Raimi going, dang it. They told me I have to put Venom in, which means I need to put my what I want to do on hold. So I'm going to give Harry Osborn a concussion so that for 40 minutes, he doesn't remember the last two movies and we can just do what Avi Arad wants me to do. And it's just such a disappointment because when Raimi is doing what he wants to do, it's really strong with Spider-Man three, but I wanted to be crying and I wanted to be angry and I wanted to be filled with hope and, and, overcome with like satisfaction and spider-man 3 then doesn't do that you see it you can see that raimi wants to do it and even as raimi's told put venom in this movie he does it well i think like there's some really interesting things especially how he defeats venom i think is awesome um because it's not just punching and (laughs) kicking (laughs) it's not venom versus carnage from venom 2 (laughs) where it's where it's just boring but it is it is a mess and but it's at least a more interesting i mean there's even even on letterbox with spider-man 3 people are like at least raimi at his worst is better than everyone else at their best so but yeah that's this rewatch was really great and even like i watched spider-man 1 on like the 12th and then like or no on the on the i think the 10th and then i watched 2 and 3 on the 12th like back to back and uh, not only did it put three into perspective of how disappointing it is compared to two, but it did just sort of solidify the quality of this trilogy in comparison to the rest of, frankly, the rest of Marvel. Now that these movies are probably, no, now that these movies are canon, because we know Alfred Bolita is in No Way Home, and there's no way it's not, of course, the same one well i don't know we'll find out but yeah i have some thoughts on that but yeah which we'll definitely save for the end talking about how will these movies connect um it'll be more fun with amazing spider-man because it'll be like (laughs) how does how does it recover (laughs) those movies but what do you think about these movies in comparison (laughs) to the marvel movies like because these movies i'll just say it these movies blow it out of the park i mean i didn't even get into just how like like I said to Catherine, I said to even another friend, I was like, this is just like, what if Spider-Man was an adult and poor? Like that is these movies. Which is Spider-Man, which yeah. is the character. So, But like adult, like, cause I, don't, I haven't seen an on-screen adult Spider-Man yet. I read Ultimate Spider-Man and he wasn't really adult with that. I didn't finish it. But like, so like most of my engagement with Spider-Man and even Spider-Verse is Spider-Man as a kid. Um, and so it's just neat to see Spider-Man be like, man, New York, it sucks, but I love it. Yeah, he's in a dumpy <laughs> apartment. He's got girl trouble. He Oh, and did I mention that like this moves, these New York feels alive and real apart from the caricature of New York, but it actually feels like a real place. And I, we said it in um, the Eternals episode, but Marvel Universe has never felt like a real place, except for I think with 
I would say with Iron Man one and two, it feels like a real yeah, place. Yeah, and the, the Netflix shows, but, I think, do a good yeah, job. Yeah, I still got to tune into those. But like, yeah, these Spider-Man one and even three, three, it starts to lose it because two of the fight scenes are just CGI borderline black panther fighting in a train kind of <laughs> looking scenes but otherwise spider-man one and two it feels extremely authentic and i would say half of three yeah so i i kind of like two there are three main overarching things that throughout the whole throughout the films overall i think Raimi does a great job of and to sort of tie into what you're saying right now he creates a wonderful comic book on reality where the world of the Spider-Man films is both a heightened comic booky worlds where characters act kind of silly. Like there's a lot of what I call charming, like movie things in them where characters point at the sky and go, look what's up there, you know, and things like that. And people talk like you'd expect them to talk in a silly comic book movie, uh, but it's not done in a corny. I mean, it's corny, but it's not done in a way that I think takes me out of it. It's done in a way that I find very charming but the overall world feels like this real lived in place. It feels like New York people act like and talk like New Yorkers expect, except when they talk like Sam Raimi characters where everyone kind of has this like <laughs> yeah. tongue in cheek kind of silliness to them, but it works because everyone acts like this in the movies. Everyone kind of acts a little, a little exaggerated, but it mm-hmm. works for the material they're given where Spider-Man exists in a non it's not the real world it's a world of superheroes and so that totally works for the tone they're going for and so he creates this like specific he carves out this own little world that spider-man exists in and everyone follows that and so it but because of this it i find it much easier to get lost in the story because of that where william defoe is just hamming it up as green goblin and it's so awesome. scary so freaky he, he's so menacing but yeah. so silly at the same time it's an incredible performance yeah. in the tone and i think that's why like when i watched it a few years ago the first one i wasn't totally into it because i was thinking this is too silly but then like this time i'm watching it and i'm cheering when he comes out of the green gas and chokes a guy to death i'm like yes. yeah let's do it like this is great everything's green for no reason yeah and as as a sub point i think part of what makes these films work so well is the decision same way that peter jackson like with the sensibilities peter jackson brings to Lord of the rings sam raimi is a horror science fiction director and boy does it come out in two because it is one of the the incredible doc ock scene it's and it's not just that it's it's okay okay so dr octopus before he becomes dr octopus He's doing the like particle collider sun creation thing. And that scene when that falls apart is a great disaster sequence where my heart is pumping. I'm sweating watching it. I'm like, this is scary. This is tragic. This is petrifying. And then immediately after is the Dr. Octopus murdering nurses, low-wage nurses in a hospital scene. So you don't even get breathing room between these two a woman petrifying sequences. Is- clawing at the ground to save herself and she's uh, <laughs> leaving divots in the metal floor and it's- i remember i remember as a kid like <laughs> he the the tentacle shoves the dude's arm into a light and i'm like oh my gosh the guy just got electrocuted to death oh my gosh the, he's not he's not alive <laughs> like i'm watching it now and like i can see how Raimi's making this a terrifying scene i mean even the addition of zooming in to like octavius's face asleep is just like eyes covered with a bandage it you it's so it's scary a, it's scary but it also really establishes what's happening not to hyper focus on what's seen but like earlier oh, he mentions man. that the tentacles without the inhibitor 
can control like his brain because they have direct direct access to his the neural passages or whatever science yeah. language I would say. And the accident to get destroyed. So in that scene, it's establishing that the tentacles are sentient on their own. And even though he's unconscious, they can still act. And on their own, they just murder all these people. And that seems there's no music. You know? Well, they're goal driven. It's it's because uh, because in terms of the theme of the the movie being about like who do you want to be and chasing your goals and like sort of the the uninhibited demeanor of goal chasing where you start to put other people at expense and Peter Parker's going through which who do I want to be and what goals am I going to put on the line? Like if I choose to be Spider Man then the life of Peter Parker dies. And so does my romance with Mary Jane that I so desperately want. But then if I choose to be Peter Parker, then a bunch of college students will get beat up and I can't do anything about it. And right. it'll be terrible and people will burn in fires. And so when you have Dr. Octopus on the other side, who is again, also goal and dream driven, and you get to see his dream take over this this monstrous tentacle machine that he created that is a dream so powerful that if it doesn't have an inhibitor which is his wife um essentially he will go mad and then of course his wife dies and then the actual world scientific yeah it's the worst and then of course you see her body and it's fine but, but like it's implied if Raimi was allowed to do what he wanted <laughs> that it this was, was like, evil dead for oh man <laughs> yeah, that it was that it would be bad which it basically is because he shoves the chainsaw into the scene and like does these action <laughs> shots it's so great yeah uh, you can practically see if it was an r-rated movie the chainsaw would have been turned on and then when it fell off the table it would like just saw the guy in half but yeah <laughs> what a good scene dude i mean great scene. it was there are scenes that this had this was like malignant where scenes that are so energizing that you you have to say something and like the scene hasn't even ended yet and i'm saying to my wife oh my gosh what's happening like it's and like we both had to like breathe and talk and the movie's still going like we're like this was insane and so that's when that's what i was like oh, i would have loved to see this in theaters and like to have and to be aware of it because like when you're a kid, half the time you're disassociating, not on purpose, just because you don't know what it's like to well, be alive. Yeah, it's funny as a kid because like <laughs> there's this whole thing about like old oh, kid will understand it. But to me, this made perfect sense. Like, oh, yeah, Doc Ock, he's a bad guy. Why wouldn't he kill all these people? Like as a child, I was like, oh, bad guys do bad things. So like I didn't find the scene particularly shocking or anything as a I, kid. I grew to find it scary. But the right. first time I watched it, I don't think I got it that it was that scary. I think my parents were probably like, <gasps> oh, like no, oh, trying to cover this your is, eyes. Yeah. <laughs> this is so freaky. But like I would have loved to see it in theaters and then that scene ends and have everybody in the theater be talking. Like, cause it's just so like, oh my gosh, <laughs> did you just have an intermission like, little Spider-Man? Everyone's just sort of like sweating and complimentary towels are handed out because <laughs> you need to like dab it off. Like because it's so freaky good scene uh, what a great movie yeah. man <laughs> like well it's, it's just so good yeah as you're touching on a little bit earlier where well i think that these the other thing i think well what of the three things i prepared but the second thing that i think the movies get really done really well is generally speaking the characters but specifically i think Raimi gets peter parker in a way that the other movies kind of don't like i think Tom Holland, Peter Parker, really captures the essence of being a kid who's a superhero, especially in his early scenes in Civil War, 
where he seems like he's over his head. He's just excited to be part of the team. He's geeking out, meeting all these other heroes and stuff, which makes sense not just because he's a kid, but because he exists in the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think to an extent, Andrew Garfield kind of gets it sometimes. I think he's a little too cool to be Peter Parker, but he feels very ultimate Spider-Man. And that's something I kind of he enjoyed, feels. Yeah, he feels kind of like he feels like the people at Marvel were like, all right, this is Peter Parker guy. What a dork. We need to update him for the new generation. And that's kind of what ultimate Spider-Man is. And to an extent, what Andrew Garfield feels like Tobey Maguire. And I, I say this with love and care is he is just kind of an awkward guy like he just seems kind of awkward and weird in all all every movie i've ever seen him in and that is heightened the quiet unassuming voice that never really takes the front stage yeah his eyes look like they're always searching for answers you know yeah and and that is heightened with raimi's writing and directing where peter parker in these movies is constantly seems out of place he seems constantly not he's sure of the he's making he seems very sad he's sad and melancholy like even in the second one when he decides when he decides i'm not gonna be spider-man and we get this great sequence that has been parodied with every youtube video that's ever existed where it's uh what is it raindrops falling yeah. on my head and it's like even as you're seeing him smile so walk down a road <laughs> and then like two faces over top he's smiling and you're just like but he's not happy still. Like, people in my theater so laughed. Sad. I remember people laughing when that scene it's happened. It's funny. It's, I remember that's, being like, it's, and it's supposed what? to be. <laughs> it's supposed to be funny. I mean, these movies are also just way funnier than Marvel movies have ever been, too. <laughs> sometimes it's on just, purpose, sometimes yeah, on purpose. Like, like, it is really, really good. I'm back! I'm back! <laughs> and then he just, like, destroys his back. Oh, my back! Oh. Uh, they love so me. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so good. <laughs> These movies uh, are great. And it's, it's, I think, I really feel like people are constantly trying to reinvent the wheel when it comes to Peter Parker. Or I feel like people don't get him as a character. And at his core, he is an awkward loser nerd who is a dork. And the only thing that changes is that when he's wearing the Spider-Man suit, he's more confident to be more of a dork. And I think that's something that's severely lost in a lot of interpretations. Like his mm-hmm. one-liners are always groaners. The jokes he makes are lame. And yeah. he's still like, like the great scene in the first movie where he's like, you already know who I am. She's like, I do. Yeah. You're fairly neighborhood Spider-Man. He's like jaunt, <laughs> jaunts away. Yeah. And it's like, that's his version of being cool. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And so, so when, funny. when he triumphs, it feels so good. And when he finally like, and that's part of what makes Spider-Man 2 so powerful is he not only accepts like his own role as Spider-Man, but there's that great scene where the great scene, in the train where he's unconscious and the, the New Yorkers agree to keep his secret where like New it's York so cool. itself accepts him too. And it's like, this is perfect marriage of character and people where Peter Parker is this weird guy who doesn't really fit in anywhere because he's a super genius scientist who is like 19 years old and he's also superhero and his specific superhero Spider-Man is a perfect representation of the awkwardness of puberty in so many ways where he's mm-hmm. like, it's a pretty clear, like, you know, metaphor for, for going through the, the physical changes of becoming an awkward guy. I think into the spider verse does a great job of illustrating that. And so like, but New York is also a city of misfits and people from all over the world who came to Ellis Island and all that sort and all that great stuff. And so he is in some ways, the perfect every man, New Yorker superhero, 
where he doesn't have money. He lives in a dumpy, horrible apartment. <laughs> yeah. he, one thing I think is lost with Raimi is because he gave him the quote unquote natural web shooters. You don't get the element where he has to like his desk is covered in gadgets because he's trying to MacGyver together his own tech because he's a he's smart, but he doesn't have a lot of money, which I think is lost in these ones. But outside of that, it really captures that feeling of he's a dumpy out of his luck guy where being spider-man is one of the things that keeps him going and it's one of the things that provides him with something resembling income because he can take pictures of himself and (laughs) that sort of thing and i don't know like tom holland he's a conventionally attractive guy like i know he's playing younger but he's in his 20s and he's hanging out with zendaya and like he heads out with iron man and the avengers and i'm one of those people that thinks that tom holland spider-man ruined spider-man but He's not Peter Parker anymore in so right. many ways. He yeah. he is way too connected, way too successful. I like that they try to do that where he rejects being an Avenger at the end of Homecoming and all that stuff. But it's not the same thing. It just really isn't. It's not yeah, the same. It it at the end of well, not even just Homecoming, but No Way Home being like, will I be the heir to the Stark stuff? It's not the same relatability to who do I want to be after <laughs> high school? <laughs> and, oh no, I got too. fired from delivering pizzas. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, and I, and it's always funny because it's like, because he doesn't want to, like, the fact that we're watching Peter Parker in the opening of two, not just immediately go to the Spider-Man suit and web his way to drop the pizzas off to to Bones. Like, I don't understand why he doesn't do that. But then, like, in the context of the movie, of like. He doesn't really even want to be both. He has like a pretty clear distinction between I'm Peter Parker and I'm Spider-Man and I don't want to marry the two. And they they set that up really well with the end of one where it's like he gets the girl and then he denies it because he's like, it's going to be a danger um, yeah. because he saw what happened to uh, Aunt May, which I could have sworn he told Aunt May in, in, in the trilogy at some point that he was Spider-Man, but I guess he did it. Um, maybe that was going to be in a next one who knows, but, or maybe that's in the amazing Spider-Man movies. I can't remember either way. I know, (laughs) I know in the Tom Holland ones, she finds out, but, uh, but, um, yeah, then you just don't get that with no way or far from home where the titles of the MC Spider-Man movies are atrocious. Don't feel bad. (laughs) They're a mess. I know I, the home trilogy just doesn't work. It's not very good. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, in, in Far From Home, where it's basically like, do I become a rich, all powerful digital deity or just a quote unquote friendly neighborhood Spider-Man who we've never seen do his like work in New York anyway? I know. So it's, it's really bo- that really bothers It's me. really strange, which I do believe I heard was contractual. There's like a particular reason why this Spider-Man can't be very much like the other Spider-Mans, because if he is, then it becomes like the ownership could potentially change or like legally there's particular struggles. I think it's a um, midnight's edge YouTube video that kind of went over it and it's really complicated because a lot of it was involved in the leaks for the Sony leaks from like 2013. It's so such a bummer, but yeah, like with these movies where Spider-Man is both living in a fantastical world that knows it's a movie yet is just a poor college student who has one thing going for him, but that one thing that's going for him is also like not enough to keep him going is enough to get you 
crying in a movie, <laughs> but like I've never really cried watching any of the uh, Marvel Spider-Man movies. I've never been moved or excited in a way. I've had fun because Jake Gyllenhaal is fun and I've had fun because the Marvel movies can be fun, but there's a difference between the fun I had watching Spider-Man three and the joy I had watching Spider-Man two. And I think most of the time, most of the time movies feel like Spider-Man three than they do like two or even one. Right. Cause one, one is interesting to watch because it's, it feels more like a Raimi movie than even two does where two is just very good, a very good movie. One has way more goofy things when Spider-Man's when Peter Parker gets bit and he goes home and he's sick, like <laughs> he rolls a skeleton, the floor. yeah, he rolls on the floor and a skeleton flashes on his body. <laughs> and then we go into his body and spiders are on his DNA. Like that is so stupid. That's great. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, yeah, and it's just awesome. But then like, as he's doing these fantastical things, he does the glasses sequence where he's putting them on and off and on and off and his vision works. And immediately you relate to it because like over 50% of the people in the world are glasses wearers, or at least in the U S or at least people who watch the movie. So you immediately understand like, Oh, this is really cool that now he doesn't need to wear them anymore. And so there's this perfect balance between comic goofiness and full on relatability that, yeah, the Marvel movies have never felt like the real world at all. So, <laughs> so we, um, we were, we, we have, we had a youth group kid over our house, uh, cause we're, I guess you could say we're mentoring them, but they were over here and initially they were here with just, uh, there were, my wife was talking to them about something and I walked in the door cause I had to stay at the office a little late and I walk in, I'm like, Hey, how you doing? Whatever. And they were sitting on the couch and I just walk over to my PS4 and I pull out my Blu-ray, uh, special three movie collection of Spider-Man and I pull out Spider-Man one and I put it in the PS4 and my wife's like, what are you doing? I was like, Oh, we're watching Spider-Man. She's like, what? I was like, yeah, we're watching Spider-Man. And so we sat down and we just started <laughs> okay. watching it. And they're just like, what? And But then like they're watching it. I'm like, this is great. And then we get to the scene where Green Goblin really first shows up in public at the parade. I turned to the youth group kid and I was like, are you ready to see the greatest special effect in movie history? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, uh, yeah. And so, <laughs> of course, I'm talking about the scene where he throws a pumpkin bomb <laughs> at the, yeah. the other board members and it just turns them into goofy skeletons it's so scary <laughs> because it just immediately vaporizes them but it's also funny because they just turned they turned skeleton. into jason and the argonauts <laughs> level looking skeletons no no organs uh, no muscle tissue no blood <laughs> they're just skeletons it's so cool it's incredible and i love it i love it so much and that's like the one thing i think it's the one of the only barriers between this movie being not because the movies are very ironically appreciated these days because they are kind of corny. Especially and weird. three. Especially, Especially three. three. Uh, shout out to our Raimi memes on Reddit. But uh, yeah, the special effects are one of the barriers. And yeah, they don't look great. And it's funny because like the digital effects of the time are the thing that ages the worst. But there's well, so many great looks practical. Really good. Yeah, that's because two, two looks great. For example, all his Doc Ock's tentacles are puppets. Those are not computer generated. Whoa, why they really? look good the whole movie. Yeah. If you look at the behind the scenes footage, which is included in my collection, you just see they have just strings that are they're they're things on strings and they move them around. And I think there might be some scenes where they're computer generated, but it's all practical. Because there are a few that look it, 
But we were talking about how the fights with Doc Ock all feel tangible. Like when Spider-Man's dodging or punching or putting arms up to block, they all feel real. Oh my gosh. Like when they're walking up the side of the building and they're just fighting across the building. Yeah. So good. And I was thinking like if it wasn't like that, if it wasn't puppeteering, it was at least people in green suits holding up like um, rods that could be at least blocked or hit or something like that. So um, Toby Maguire has something to interact with. So it's not just like modern day stuff where it's just, uh, well, it's the Eternals when Fastos is building something and obviously there's nothing in front of him and they're just like, so stupid. I hate you that know. stuff. But yeah, it, it too has these like, it, first of all, the practical effects look great, but also Cat observed she was like, "What makes the practical effects even look good in one is that because of the whole when Spider-Man is swinging, the almost the entire world is fake, and so he doesn't he doesn't feel like he doesn't belong in New York because New York is also digitally rendered sometimes, and so it gives a real sense of transition between scenes and a." Uh, yeah, he doesn't feel like he's popping out. But then every now and then when they do use real New York, because he's so small, it works really, really well to give a lot of um, – but just makes it feel real. And then it feels like you're swinging with him too, which, yeah, too, you get the great sequence where you're flying with Spider-Man uh, right above the uh, New York um, streets with a bunch of taxi cabs. As, as I've uh, – since I don't live in New York, I live near Pennsylvania – near P- Philadelphia – um, but like, I've always, I love that Hollywood, New York is just taxi cabs everywhere. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just, just nothing else. I've, I've been to New York. It's not that far off, right? <laughs> but it's like, I've been there a couple times. It's been a very long time. Uh, but yeah, I love how it's just like yellow old taxi cabs and Italians everywhere. It's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will say like it, it, it to wrap up the thing about, thing about Peter Parker, I will say that one thing that most Spider-Man iterations on the big screen do well. I just think Raimi's does it the best is being Spider-Man should cost Peter Parker something. I just think that's in the character's DNA. And so, yeah, we, we talked earlier where he says no to Mary Jane because of yeah, the, the bird of, the of being one. Spider-Man. Yeah. And the theme in Spider-Man two is he's constantly missing out on everything it, it, because he's Spider-Man and even being Spider-Man, uh, the bird in there is drives a rift a little bit between him and Aunt May when Aunt May learns the context of Uncle Ben's death, which if there is one thing that is severely missing from both the Andrew Garfield and the Tom Holland Spider-Man, it's Ben Parker. It, yes. The, yeah. the Ben Parker death in Spider-Man 1 and the fallout from it and what it does oh, man. to the character it's so sad. It's sad. And it's vital. He, oh, with great yes. power comes great responsibility. It is the core of the character. It is what makes Spider-Man who he is. And the fact that that is just not even remotely a thing in Tom Holland's Spider-Man, I think severely hampers that character. Because I think he's missing that that the call, the, the heroic call that, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man does. And shame. There's so much shame for Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man because of his involvement the, in yeah, the, the death of his father. And like that gives a lot of motivation for you as an audience member to want to see him succeed, but also to understand why 
just because he can beat a villain doesn't mean he might have won. Yeah. And that makes it really, really good. Like, even the fact that, like, the first movie is the villain is the man who's now surrogate his dad, who is also a horrible dad to his best friend as so <laughs> just much awful like, he tells yeah, his like, son that he's surprised he graduated high school and then like, he looks to peter oh, parker good job it's uh, yeah, <laughs> <just> rough. <laughs> so like it's it's so comically evil and mean but then it's so effective which even like even in spider-man 3 peter parker becomes comically evil but it works really well yeah and i I will say like i know it's controversial that in spider-man 3 they sort of retcon it where thomas hayden church's sandman is actually the one who kills ben parker but it would have worked if the movie spent time on it but it doesn't even it really doesn't i'm not a fan of that but i i think the moral complexity it brings to the situation where peter parker because it's like there's this mini arc across the movies where first he realizes that there is a responsibility that when you're given power, you have a responsibility to wield it justly. And then in Spider-Man right. 2, he fully embraces that call to be a hero. And But he also sees redemption in Doc Ock, which we'll get into my feelings on that in a second. And then it goes into then you get into the moral ambiguity of even people who the even people who are evil of capacity for good and vice versa with the whole thing with the dark suit and all that stuff. Right. And so like, there's still something there. I, I think I, again, I'm not a fan of the fact that I think it's, I think it's dumb to start reconning things that quickly first off, but also something that's so perfect as it is, you know, which yeah, Spider-Man three recons, like Spider-Man three recons, like three things at a time anyway. It's just, but, but it's because I think there's a, so much frustration of what, what was scripted out because from the first movie, you see the plan to build Harry Osborn into the, the culmination of the, the arc of this movie of the series. And then, and, and then even the way two ends with Harry Osborn, cause he's always there at the climax and has some sort of pivotal thing. I mean, green goblins last words is don't tell harry and then he slumps over dies and it's like the most horrifying sequence in that movie because you're seeing how green goblin still has this power over spider-man even in death and it's just oh man when that happened i was like i i like to breathe out like whoa <laughs> like, yeah and like because it's just like it's like it's not over. The story is not over. And then even the resolution of Spider-Man 1 is building up into 2 and then even how 2 goes into like Harry Osborn finally finds out who Spider-Man is. <laughs> I, sh- I will say that look the performance I like the least is James Franco across all three of these movies. I it just never clicked for me. He seems like he's playing too goofy into the movies. <laughs> that that pies was it? Oh, so good. <laughs> that, that- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, I, I changed my mind. The amount of joy I've gotten out of that one scene for years at this point, uh, worth it. <laughs> he he definitely seems like the one who's buying more into the these are comedy movies than serious, which is unfortunate because he's he's the crux of so much of the of Peter Parker's character and drama and the effects of him being Spider Man. But then, yeah, you get to three, and you have to make time for Venom to be in the movie. And so Harry Osborn needs to have amnesia for a very long time in the film. And then he just, the second he remembers, it's as though we just sort of started where we thought the movie was going to be anyway. 
and then yeah, you have this the light recon of Sandman killing Peter Parker's dad, or or <laughs> I'm already forgetting everything. This is what happens when you have two next generation versions of Spider-Man that don't involve his backstory. Yeah, can you imagine a superhero film with four characters? Ooh, it's so much, <laughs> so many characters to juggle. Oh man, <laughs> but he does it well. That's the thing because it feels like. Spider-Man 3 feels like the lack of emotional engagement I get from most Marvel movies nowadays that have nine characters in them. And so it it's it's frustrating to see that it's so negatively remembered, even though it's kind of getting a slight renaissance, just like the prequels did, even though the prequels, the first two are still... I mean, Spider-Man 3 kills those two movies, but... It's a podcast for another time, Melvin. It really is. We get to talk about uh, millennial Zoomer nostalgia, well, really just millennial nostalgia, where we talk specifically about the prequels, Spider-Man trilogy, and SpongeBob SquarePants. But <laughs> but yeah. like, I, I can see the benefit of the recon of who killed Ben Parker, because the third movie's trying to be about forgiveness, but it's a mess, and it has like... Venom is being used to basically say to to be a catalyst for hyperbolizing good people can do bad things. Well, the duality, the duality of man. Yeah, dude. of course. Because Peter Parker is already bad. Yeah. It's not like it's not like Peter Parker already doesn't have enough duality in his life, but right. Because yeah. he doesn't he doesn't kiss Gwen Stacy wearing the dark suit. That's Peter Parker. That is um that is already there. But he still needs forgiveness. And so having him do bad things, especially if you're just you've never seen Spider-Man one or two and you're just coming into three, you kind of need that. And then you have him being like Harry Osborne needs to forgive him. Doesn't need to. Forgiveness is something you do freely. You don't need to do it, but it's a good idea. Um, so then you have, of course, Spider-Man is now beholden to Harry Osborne. And then of course, Sandman is beholden to Spider-Man because it he has to, or he would do well to forgive him. And so I see, I'm just saying like, I see what's working and I see how Raimi is surviving the mess. That is this movie that the producers completely co-opted, but I, I get the frustration because there's so much going on and the movie has many scenes that are missing that like it just never comes together in the way that you really want it to, especially after a high like Spider-Man 2. When you when putting on Spider-Man 3 immediately, it's not 10 minutes before you're like, it's not going to six it's not going yeah. to satisfy this, yeah. but it will still be fun. Because Spider-Man 2 or Spider-Man 3 is still fun. I like the visual effects. I think the Venom looks fit. I look, I think the special effect of Venom looks better in this one than Venom 1 and 2 right now. Oof. I don't I know people Oof. are frustrated with the design of him. I know that's a hot take. But I I do think like the gel symbiote animation style of him looks does does look better. Maybe not the suit where it just looks like Topher Grace is just Spider-Man black, but like still. But I yeah, I it's it, we should just talk about Spider-Man 3 now cuz <laughs> we're at this point. <laughs> well, so I will say uh to wrap before we fully transition to Spider-Man 2, uh, I mean, sorry, transition, transition to Spider-Man 3. Oh, yeah. You were thinking about the Dr. Octopus uh, recovery. Oh, well, so, I mean, th- this goes kind of into where the franchise goes from here uh, stuff. So that can be tabled for a second. Uh, but I will say, like, overall, I think Raimi's sense of the what he does with the casting of the films is tremendous. Of course, we do have to give him credit 
for introducing the world to J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. Great. Is, so good. It's amazing. <laughs> it's like there's not much more we can add uh, in regards to that as it's already considered pretty perfect as is. But it is worth noting that so good is his performance that two different Spider-Man cartoons just had J.K. Simmons come back to voice J. Jonah Jameson. Uh, amazing Spider-Man just doesn't have the character on screen at all because they knew yeah. they couldn't top it. And then in, in the MCU, um, they just brought him back. Cause, cause they, there were It's a new character for all intents and purposes because he's now like an Alex Jones type character. Uh, but John Watts straight up said like, the, from the second I decided I want to bring in J. Jonah Jameson, I knew we had to do J.K. Simmons because if he's not there, then there's no point. And it's, I actually didn't realize this until later. I looked it up. J.K. Simmons has played not just in Spider-Man media, but he's also appeared in things like The Simpsons and Family Guy and stuff, voicing parodies of his own character because his voice has just become so synonymous with J. Jonah Jameson, which man that is spot on casting and that is mm-hmm. that is a true sign of you nailed it when even when robot chicken wants to do a parody of your character they're like we got to get jk simmons in or else we can't or else it's not even worth doing yeah. you know yeah and so i think that alone uh forever cements sam raimi spider-man mm-hmm. as being sort of perfect i just love how he progressively looks like he's getting sicker because his table is filled with more and more medication but like he still has the same energy as he always did but then i just love how in spider-man 2 he he wears the suit he's just a dumb he does the ridiculous pose and everything so good i had it all wrong spider-man was a was good he? guy he's a thief <laughs> He's a no good thief. That's the media for you, man. They're so <laughs> turn on you in a dime. He's so funny. And yeah, I like that they do the thing where like New York just turns on Spider Man all the time because that's just again that's the character. And it and it's good for like it's just good drama too to be like the one thing I'm good at. Everyone hates me for <laughs> so like no matter what I do, my life sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so and and it's great because it gets it puts into perspective like the value of doing good inherently because that's really how Spider-Man is in these movies at least in two where the goodness he's doing is self-fulfilling because it feels good for him to do what's right anyway but it's also just the inherent value of doing good where in Spider-Man 3 you get to see the intoxicating power the intoxicating nature of power because I yeah, when the movie's good, it's really good. The intro sequence when he's getting and when he's getting the keys to the city, all that stuff is great. Yeah, all the stuff with Sandman, honestly, I really like the stuff with Sandman early on, especially that beautiful scene where he tries to grab uh thinks the was it the ring? I don't know if I'm remembering. Oh yeah. His hand just can't pick it up. A lot of yeah. Sandman well, he just gets the shaft, man. He like because <laughs> Spider-Man one and two in interviews, Raimi and Maguire are like, we really want to do Sandman. We really want to get this character in here. And then they finally do, and he gets like 12 minutes of screen time, and he's like, he would have been the crux of the movie if he was in it more. He would have been a good counterbalance to Harry Osborn, which you can see was what was intended. And then it just, he barely gets to be in it because he has a great setup, he has great motivation. The concept of just bad luck is yeah. tragic. That's sad. And like when he falls into the basically the particle collider thing, I don't know. And if it's a science, it's if it's some form of science mo- fiction mojo, I'm going to call it a particle collider. Uh, when he fall, falls into the sand pit, 
I just said out loud, I'm like, man, bad luck. Like, cause that is his character. Like, and that's sad. That's enough to get me into it. And I'm sure like, if you're living in New York with like a couple million people, I'm sure there's some people who just get bad luck who, who understand. And then he's not in the movie and he has a bank heist and that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I will say like, I see something like to give credit to the current MCU Spider-Man films so far is they did continue the tradition of the villains all, all great rogues gallery. Spider-Man is the Batman of Marvel in the sense that he just has the best villains. Um, first off, it follows my general villain rule, which is they need to have both clear abilities as well as weaknesses where there is always a clear path to, to defeating them. Even Venom, which was critically panned in Spider-Man 3, he has clearly established weaknesses, uh, which is the loud sounds and fire and so forth. Uh, so all of Spider-Man's villains, like they have abilities, sure, but they also have like obvious weaknesses and things that Spider-Man has to like strategize around them, like the way he stops Green Goblin, the way you have to stop Sandman, the way you have to stop Doc Ock, like as opposed to like a lot of more quote powerful villains in comic books where they're just people with chat with like, they're all just Superman. Basically they yeah. all shoot giant lasers and sometimes a bigger laser will stop them. But the thing where they continue on is that they all represent and bring out something in Spider-Man, which I think this is one of the strengths of the Tom Holland ones is Michael Keaton's vulture is a great villain. He's awesome. He has a clear motivation. He's a, he's very human and the fact that Spider-Man like in him weirdly connect by the end of that film is great. I think Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio is great, both because I love a villain who doesn't actually have any abilities. He's just a bunch of lies. I think that's fun. That but also cool. like he, he teaches Spider-Man the important lesson of not being so trustworthy and also like the need to be independent because he was looking for someone to take Iron Man's place in his life. And in doing so, he picked a horrible human being. And I think Raimi Spider-Man does that really well. Uh, this is where the Andrew Garfield films for me, I think severely fail where there's the lizard and he's a lizard, you know, <laughs> that's, just, <laughs> that's the villain. And the only reason he's there is because he's set up in Spider-Man two because they have uh Kurt Connors be his teacher. And he was slated to be the villain of Spider-Man four in some, in some version of pre-production Spider-Man four, which never came to fruition has a famously difficult production and so that just feels like a holdover. We're like, yeah, I'll just do Lizard again. Let's just do Lizard finally, you know? But yeah, I think that's something that Raimi Spider-Man films do tremendously well is all of the villains are fully fleshed out, deeply human characters who have some like tragic flaw to them where you could see a version of events where none of these people become bad guys. Like they all, for whatever reason, sometimes by happenstance, end up uh, just becoming evil. And I think that's part of what makes them so powerful is I think... Peter Parker, Spider-Man sees that kind of in them where he's super sympathetic to Doc Ock. He is sympathetic to Norman Osborn, even yes. to the bitter end. And he lets Sandman go at the end because he's just like, yeah, I get it, <laughs> dude. And that's something that's kind of beautiful about the Raimi Peter Parker, where he is not just like, I don't know. He's, he's neither a nihilistic person who just punches people in oblivion, nor is he a complete idiot. He, just understands and so there's something the melancholy that peter parker feels is also palpable in the people that he faces as well as all his problems where you know like he's just running around town trying to make it to place trying to be at work on time trying to pay rent 
and half the time it doesn't work out. And then his villains also have terrible lives. <laughs> and then there's just Peter Parker, Spider-Man's just doing his best and everyone's trying their best. Yeah. And outside of Harry Osborn stuff, which never quite works for me. And I, I, I like Mary Jane more in Spider-Man two than one. I actually don't have that many memories of her in Spider-Man three, but in Spider-Man one, as is pointed out to me by my wife is that's the one character that really doesn't age super well because She's just screaming for help the whole movie. She's screaming for help and she's just a woman to be one. Like she's very, it's like the ultimate of Bechdel fail for, <laughs> for her. Like this is yeah. bad. I mean, even the fact that like, um, and it's funny because like it would never get away with this in a modern Marvel movie. Cause even Eternals doesn't do this, but like, like Spider-Man one has a, like one of the first things my wife and I both like talked about at the end was like, man, she's like, got some really low cut shirts and then the romance rain scene when she kisses Spider-Man, she's just like, she just left her job, but then magically doesn't have a bra on anymore. And her shirt is all soaked. And so it's just like this really strange, like poorly written female character who then has much more depth than two and frankly has a lot more depth than three, but never escapes the fact that she is just Peter Parker's girlfriend and uh, even Catherine jokes and says how uh, I think it's, what is it the end of two or three when she's like, can you just respect me enough to let me stay in your life? Like, this is my decision. Mm. That's just like, finally a decision she's made. And it's just yeah. to be with him. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's point. That's point one for Andrew Garfield ones. Gwen Stacy is a much better character. Yeah. She's very good. Specifically in amazing Spider-Man too, which is a horrible film, but that stuff is great. But I remember the one thing, the one thing in Amazing Spider-Man 2 that always got positive perspectives was their romance, uh, which is f- only really, really probably works because they were dating <laughs> at so, the time. So yeah, that, really wasn't, that wasn't Mark Webb bringing that out of them. That was just them. It was just, them. imagine you were potentially going to break up and they're like, that's terrible. That's terrible. That's just the worst. <laughs> and so they just start crying on on set for real. <laughs> Andrew Garfield, pretend your girlfriend's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spider Man Three, not as bad as everyone says. No, it's not. It's it's definitely more interesting to watch because you can see what was being set up and then what doesn't end up happening than most Marvel movies, where when something goes wrong, your first thought is how'd they let that happen like Eternals. (laughs) I just don't understand, but yeah, they're good. Great trilogy. Love it. Yeah. And the the third thing that I think Rami Spider-Man movies do really well is bone saw in the first Spider-Man movie, the greatest character. Oh yeah. Bruce Campbell. His cameos are awesome. Oh, bone saw the wrestler. He faces Randy Macho Man Savage. Bonesaw is ready. It's just great stuff. <laughs> it's That's, so cool. God rest his soul, Randy Macho Man Savage. Uh, he has the very poorly aged, uh, well, he receives the very poorly aged uh, homophobic remark from Spider-Man, which has become its own meme. Uh, going forward oh, yeah that's right that's right <laughs> yeah when he said that i was like whoa but it works for peter parker yes. who thinks he's cool 20 he's years like, ago oh, I'm spider-man now i'm cool aren't i and yeah. it's just like i'm so I, i'm spider-man now now i can say the n-word it's like it's just the, no i can be an epic gamer because they don't know i'm <laughs> yeah, it's just can't do it man but it works in the sense that yeah. he thinks he's cool and he's just not he's still peter parker I wonder if Bruce Campbell will show up though in 
No Way Home. I hope he, so. He's in Multiverse of Madness. Of course he is. Yeah, best that's friends. Sam Raimi's directing it. Did <laughs> Did you know friends. the proposed plan for Bruce Campbell in Spider Man Four? What? So he was supposed to be Mysterio, like the beginning of the movie. Oh, that would totally work, right? Because because he's turns just out, been around. Yes, those were all part of his Mysterio plan to spy on Spider Man. So it, the opening of the movie, when Spider Man would have like a montage of stopping villains, one of them would be Bruce Campbell as Mysterio. Where it turns out that was the same guy the whole time. That would have been pretty cool. Which would have been great, right? He hams it up. He fits right in them. Yeah, and uh, uh, John Malkovich was supposed to be Vulture. Oh, I remember hearing about that too. And it totally would have worked. Yeah, I remember I played the Spider-Man 2 DS game. What a fun game. And Vulture is in that because he was originally, he was proposed in an early draft for Spider-Man 2 to be in Spider-Man 2. But then it was yeah, like, Spider-Man no, 3 bloated. and Spider-Man 4. I don't know. Yeah. He kept getting pushed off. Yeah. Well, it would have been strange. And then they just brought him in with uh, Homecoming. That's what it is. Michael Keaton. Yeah. So, which Who was good. Might be in Morbius. Well, it, he is in Morbius, and that is Vulture. It's just if it's supposed to be the exact same character from Homecoming, these movies getting so weird. But maybe it'll just scatter the villains into different universes, and that explains why he's in Morbius. And Morbius also has what is it—the Tobey Maguire suit on the wall, or was it the Amazing yeah, Spider-Man? Yeah, and suit? it has the, has the Maguire Daily Bugle stuff too, which is weird. So maybe maybe Tobey's like, ah, I just want money, <laughs> so I'll come back. I'm, I'm in between his like independent art films. He's doing that, so I guess now is a good time actually to talk about then. The right. So you wanted to future. you were mentioning the Doctor Octopus thing, which I remember. Everyone was saying when it was starting to be when when this movie was being talked about as a Spider-Verse movie and there'd be connections, people were saying, please don't put Dr. Octopus in it, even though it'd be great to see Alpha Alpha Melina again, because it'll damage his arc that we see in Spider-Man 2. Is that are you similar to that yes. in your feelings? So um the entire thing is that Spider-Man helps him fight against being a bad guy and a monster and he helps spider-man at the end of the movie before sacrificing himself and now he's just attacking spider-man again like did he so in the latest trailer was he attacking and by latest i mean the one before (laughs) november 16th yeah but like was he attacking it because he just says hello peter as far as i remember (laughs) yeah maybe it's just like it's been a long time you (laughs) let's get coffee and catch up and you get a nice hug scene where he hugs him with all the tentacles yeah Yeah. we use all six arms yeah (laughs) so okay do you mind if i get into wild speculation i don't yeah speculation's fine because we've all been speculating about this movie i mean that's why we're talking about these movies it's like what are they gonna do so (laughs) so it is been heavily theorized so so the rumored lineup of the sinister six the five rumored figures are and all these people are played by their actors from the from the corresponding movies confirmed is jamie fox as electro and alfred molina as doc ock and rumored is william defoe as green goblin thomas hayden church back as a sandman of spider-man 3 and whatever Good. whatever his name is the actor that played lizard and made spider-man 1 uh, they are the, that's the rumored Sinister Six lineup with an unconfirmed six uh, member. Some think it's going to be Venom for the post credit scene. I don't think it will be. Uh, it was heavily rumored that Paul Giamatti might be back as Rhino, which would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why not? <laughs> but it's it's unconfirmed. I don't know if they're going to try and actually pull someone from the MCU universe. So it, it really is a gathering of people from everywhere. But the wild speculation rumor is that 
William Defoe's Green Goblin will be the de facto leader of the group, which makes sense. Green Goblin is uh, specifically Norman Osborn is Spider-Man's perhaps most evil ongoing villain. If you've ever read Spider-Man comics, you know that a ton of them just end up being like, it's been Norman Osborn the whole time, you know, or whatever. He is kind of Spider-Man's Joker in a lot of ways. And the rumored slash speculated slash completely unconfirmed, but I think it's an interesting idea is that part of why how he's leading everyone is it's it might not be fully everyone on the same page. It might be kind of like coercing. I don't know, like if it's going to be a thing where like he's going to help them get back to their respective universes or he's doing something evil, like starting to destroy everything if they don't help him or something. I think it, I think it might be some sort of some such situation. Uh, the other thing is it's believed that we don't know when they're being snatched up from. Right. So Alfred Molina has stated in interviews that it is at the moment where he's about to get blown up and then he just gets zapped into the MCU. So who knows if he just doesn't understand this science fiction mumbo jumbo, he's just an actor <laughs> who signs on or whatever. But like, I guess in theory, you could do a thing where it's like right before he becomes truly redeemed, he's back to hitting Spider-Man or whether or not some villain like a mysterio type villain is like you're here because of spider-man he's ruining your life again or something yeah and we figure we don't know which peter he's talking to if we know it's a crossover anyway because editing and a trailer can just yeah whatever yeah. scenes you want together that's true oh my gosh i can't believe i didn't even mention this total tangent but i just can't wait for both toby mcguire i'm sorry both garfield's spider-man and tom holland's spider-man to watch Maguire Spider-Man shoot webs out of his hands. Yeah. They're going to be like, what the heck? Good stuff. <laughs> They're going to freak out. It's like They're web cartridges. Like- <laughs> it's just like free flowing. Like <laughs> you guys reload. I guess they reload. There's, yeah. There's a lot of fun nerdy stuff that I'm looking forward to. If this does happen, I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be fun for Maguire and Garfield to see Spider-Man exists in such a nonsense world full of just insanity where, both of them live in universes that, respectively, they're the only superhero thing in yeah. them, as far as we know. So then it's like Tom Holland's like, yeah, hang out with wizards and aliens and yeah, monsters. that'd and be cool. That stuff is fun. That's the fun stuff. Unless unless we start to get more backstory on the Amazing Spider-Man one, where his parents are basically just Arnold's parents from Hey Arnold. <laughs> or they just like got lost at an exposition or something. <laughs> like, Yeah, uh, I mean... Yeah, but like what what bothers me is the idea that for the sake of usage of IP and just to make something insane and ridiculous, they're going to take a perfectly good character arc, several of them, in fact, and just throw them out the window so they can fight someone in a big CGI battle. Yeah, I don't know, like especially because like, OK, I understand that Alfred Molina's Doc Ock is just a top tier villain and top tier performance. And not just that, but he's. It's Raimi's directing of the film that makes it great, too, because there's so many sequences of how he uses Dr. Octopus. I mean, I was just really soaking in how whenever he's showing up, it's not quiet. (laughs) There's always this looming heaviness and steps like a giant's walking down your city. And then he shows up and it's this petrifying sequence of like surprise or whatever. Um, Like, I love the cafe scene when a car flies through the, the window and yeah. of course, Harry Osborn's like, don't kill Peter, but he could have just killed Peter just then <laughs> if he didn't uh, suspect or perhaps think it was going to be him. Anyways, and then before he even shows up, you're getting these zoom in shots of both MJ and Tobey Maguire as 
Dr. Octopus is getting closer and closer, which feels like comic panels zooming in closer with the doom, yeah. doom, doom everywhere. And so a lot of the atmosphere of him as a villain is how he's used. And so it's going to be strange to see someone else hold the reins for a character that is so benefited by the creativity of Sam Raimi. I mean, we even get, what is it? Cat was like, we get evil dead vision. <laughs> we get to see what the octopus tentacles see. <laughs> every time, every time you get that first person camera, I was just like, mm, I missed you, Sam Raimi. You know? Yeah. It's so good. Cool. Cause he does it like twice. I think he does it in, Oh, he does, he does it, it in all three movies. Times. Yeah, he does it in all yeah. three movies. I think he does it once in, I'm pretty sure he does it in one. He definitely does it in two with the tentacles. And then in three, he does it with venom. But, but yeah, it's going to be weird to see if, that can be translated because yeah yeah it's a performance yeah it's a character arc but it's also the director and if Raimi's not on set carrying it then i don't know yeah and that that's something that really stands out watching these is these feel like individual movies made by a unique specific creative voice this doesn't feel like entry number 17 in mm-hmm. the grand mcu canon it yeah. feel like movies they are made by a filmmaker eccentricities and all they have his quirks they have his things he likes to do they have his stable of actors they have his unique creative voice and creative decisions and love or hate uh some of the some of the dc films that have come out a lot of them felt like movies by those people like yeah the suicide squad that's a james gunn movie you know man oh man are the snyder movies snyder movies yeah you know yeah and that's one of the things that it's partially why movies like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies work so well as they allowed James Gunn to be James Gunn. So like Thor Ragnarok is Taika Waititi, but even those movies, you can tell they're put through the Marvel Disney filter. A filter. This yeah. is just pure Sam Raimi. This is just dark man on a budget. You know, it's why three works when he's just, dancing <laughs> it's because it's like oh yeah i've seen this happen like four times in the other two movies so of course this works which i don't understand why people say it doesn't work people are like why would this happen it's just like did you see army of darkness there's like five other things that are stupid in that movie you know did you see spider-man 2 it happens twice in spider-man 2 when he gives up the suit and we get a dance <laughs> sequence of him walking around and then at the end when mj runs away from the wedding is like a lifetime movie so it's like the precedent is there. And so when Spider-Man's wearing a black suit, walking down the street, dancing and clapping to music that only he can hear. And then when he goes to the cafe to be a total jerk to MJ and he's just knows how to play piano, it all works. It all <laughs> <a> symbiote. works. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. It just heightens what's it's already so there. Good. Oh, and by the way, isn't it great that these movies are amazing, but the villains are all the same. The first one is Green Goblin just becomes insane and it heightens what's already there. The second one is Dr. Octopus has these tentacles, but they heighten what's already there. Yeah. And then the third one is Venom just heightens what's already there. <laughs> so it's not that complicated, but it works every time. So it's it's great because like he gives them all sympathetic backstories that inform their human side they're human but then, failures but yeah. then they have and temptations they have pure comic book origin stories these yes are, this is these are all variations of they fell into a vat of acid <laughs> you yes. know or whatever yeah it's just yeah and now they're evil now and i'm totally fine with that but yeah like there's there's no 
Spider-Man 3 is the first time that like someone like Avier Rad was like looking over Raimi's shoulder being like, hey, why don't you why don't you do this? You know, and even then, like he allows him to be like, yeah, and then he just <laughs> dances down the street with some hair <laughs> slicked over his eyes. Yeah, that stuff that would never get uh, be allowed to be made. And you could and for a while like that. This was the big embarrassing comic book movie thing. This this was up there with X-Men Origins and X-Men 3. And which is so fantastic weird. for rise of silver surfer, but it's just like, weird. but like th- that's a unique creative decision. Like that's the type of thing that like, yeah, like again, like with the studio factory system, you never get horrible failures, but you also never get wonderful highs and you don't get things that are amazing amalgam of both. Cause three has highs where yeah. this isn't going to work for everybody. This is not, you know, some people are gonna be like, oh, that's just stupid, but it's also like, it's joyously weird and Josh darn it. Like it, we finally reached the point where I look back and I go, I'll take it. Like, I'd rather have that. I'd give me 50 sequences of Tobey Maguire sliding across <laughs> bar and dancing awesome. and whatever and clapping and swiggling his hips. I'll take that over not being able to fully remember what happens at black widow, you know? Yeah. Whatever that was. It's awesome. But <laughs> yeah i don't know like and so like yeah as a stupid idiot nerd person i'm just like yeah we're gonna see three spider-man fight like eight million villains it's gonna be awesome yeah at the end of the and, day that's they're gonna cool. have they're yeah. gonna have daredevil and dr strange and who who knows who else maybe they'll bring in whatever you know like i'm like that's awesome that's a spectacle that's why you go to the movies if i'm gonna pay well, I'm, you know 15 bucks or 20 bucks for some fancy seats i want to see some things blow up but at the same time like what will I? I'll feel great joy. I'm sure. Like, I, like you, I, you don't need to spend hours building up a character's emotional arc if all I have to do is see like Tobey Maguire look at Tom Holland and go, "Hey, Spider Man," you know, whatever he says. He just sounds like, hey! like you know, and I'll just jump out of my seat and I'll feel yeah. joy for the first time in months or whatever, you know. But at the same time, like you can only pull that rabbit out of the hat so many times. Multiverse of Madness, what are they going to do in that? Are they going to bring in the characters from TV shows? Are we going to see the what if variations pop in? That's what and I the, suspect. And then what happens? I suspect there's going to be, yeah, the what if Doctor Strange will probably show up. It would be a, it would be a crime not to have him be in the movie. It's a cool character. So very but, cool. But then like what happened? Like what's going to happen? What if it's in- like Alien Covenant? And they kiss each other. <laughs> <laughs> then it'll get banned in Saudi Arabia again. <laughs> <laughs> they won't screen it in China. Uh, Kuwait. Yeah. We'll just be like, nope. No. <laughs> this is a weirdo American stuff. Elliot Covenant is just the worst. <laughs> it's so funny. Christians love that movie. Alien Covenant? Yeah. Why? I don't know. It 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 kept getting po- brought up in all these Christian. Are you talking about Prometheus or Alien Covenant? Alien Prometheus Covenant. I enjoy. Alien Covenant. I don't know what it was. I haven't seen it, so I can't stand Covenant because it just destroys the excitement of what I was looking forward to with Prometheus. Prometheus has a really interesting prospect looking forward, and then Alien Covenant's like, oh, they all died on the ship, <laughs> and the robot's the only one that survived. Yeah, except Michael Fassbender, and then know, yeah, Fassbender, the only actor who wanted to come back, I guess. Uh, yeah, I I I was baffled at the extreme backlash against Prometheus. Like the movie's not perfect or anything, but I was. But it looks great in the opening sequence. It was sequences, cool. just hauntingly I, beautiful. It's and then cool science fiction. It's 
Yeah. Brings up a lot of ideas. It's high science fiction, frankly. Yeah. It's very heady stuff. And then it's fun science fiction with dumb sequences. I, I saw it as a college sophomore or junior, whatever year that was. So don't hate me if I sound the, like an idiot. One of the best gross out <laughs> scenes in the world uh, in yeah. that movie. Totally that, worth the R that, rating. That was worth the theater experience. Just everyone freaking out. Because, yeah, it's a PG-13 <laughs> movie up to that point. And it just suddenly you get extreme body horror or someone has to cut themselves open. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Imagine this this one clip being cut out. Like, hey, here's something from their Spider-Man retrospective. <laughs> <laughs> like, what Spider-Man movie what? are they talking about? <laughs> yeah, if they pull in Multiverse of Madness a Fastbender fast kissing Fastbender scene with Doctor Strange, <laughs> uh, 10 out of 10, best there's, movie. There's a rumor, and I don't know how good the rumor this is, that they're going to include the Illuminati in Multiverse of Madness. Which, for those who don't know, the Illuminati is a collection of all of the powerful characters in Marvel. So, like in the comics, it's Doctor Strange, it's Namor, Submariner, it's Reed Richards, it's Professor X is in it. So, there's a rumor they're trying to get one of the Professor X actors to come back to be Professor a version of Professor X, who are going to help them fight. Well, they the probably big can only get like two more years out of Picard. So, I don't know. They might have <laughs> His to... legal Christian name, Picard, but. <laughs> Yeah, I could, I could imagine them just being like, "Listen, you just got to sit in a chair, you know." Which you just, you don't have to do anything. You just have to put your hand up to your <laughs> like forehead. Like Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween Kills, all you have to do is <laughs> lay in bed and monologue. <laughs> Get on your soapbox about something and just talk about it. You, you can do it. But yeah, yeah. In, in short, I deeply, deeply love the Raimi Spider-Man films. Great movies. They're they're joyously creative and unique, and they they really embrace like the joys and highs of being a superhero in a way that a lot of recent films haven't. Like there's this idea that to have a real mature con- contemplative take on superheroes, you need to like have just a silent block of wood floating around space, or you need to get super violent and gory, or you need to have people just talking about politics and so- or something. But like there is something into the human experience of, you know, being Peter Parker sucks <laughs> and he just gets crapped on by life and he doesn't have it. He loses his job, he loses his girlfriend, he loses everyone he loves. But at the end of the day, he wants to do what is right because it's the right thing to do. And he, sometimes he looks like an idiot doing it, but that's how it is. And there's just something wonderfully relatable about all of that. Mm-hmm. And it's not super complicated. Some, the reason some of these stories endure for decades and coming up on, in some cases, a hundred years is because there's something timeless about the story of a downtrodden everyman who aspires to greatness, but in the process he loses a few things. But it's inspiring because he soldiers on, and that's all you need. You don't need to send him to an alternate universe. You don't need him to have to fight the devil or sell his love for Mary Jane to bring Aunt May back for the dead or whatever, you know, uh, yeah, we had to at least mention one more day, one time, <laughs> if we're talking about Spider-Man, or clone him a million times and create Ben Riley or whatever. Like, it's sometimes these stories work because they're simple, and mm-hmm. their simplicity is their strength. And I think Sam Raimi nails that. Totally. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. 
A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematicdoctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.